from the New Media Project at the NYU School of Medicine and the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery, I'm Josh Young, and this is As Seen From Here. On today's podcast, Complement Factor H and AMD, Part 1. I mean, you can kind of generally speculate, again, that if you have a less well-regulated complement system, this can lead to inflammation or increased inflammatory components. This could lead to a breakdown of Bruch's membrane or an instability in Bruch's membrane, which could then maybe allow for a neovascular process to more easily occur. First this. The Accreditation Council for Continuing Medical Education requires a financial interest disclosure before any CME activity. Dr. Brantley has served as a consultant for OSI iTech. No single department of ophthalmology has the best lecturers in every field. Open Ophthalmology is a meta school in which lecturers from different departments have access to ophthalmology residents everywhere. I've seeded this marketplace of ideas with my own course on clinical optics. Who's your department's best lecturer? Let me know and come visit us at openophthalmology.com. Open Ophthalmology. Let a hundred flowers bloom. The discovery of the association between Complement Factor H and AMD is a milestone in modern ophthalmology. This association validates earlier beliefs about the role of inflammation in AMD and points us in new therapeutic directions. Milam Brantley of the Barnes Retina Institute at Washington University is an expert in complement factor H and its association with AMD. Because of its length and importance, his discussion of this topic is divided into two podcasts. We'll hear the first part of my conversation with Dr. Brantley today and the conclusion next week. Before we get to complement factor H, what evidence existed of a relationship between AMD and inflammation? Well, there had actually been about a decade of work uh, by several people, prominent of, among whom uh, were Greg Hageman and Link Johnson, who had shown that inflammatory components were present in, for instance, drusen and in Bruch's membrane. And Dr. Hageman had talked for years about the inflammatory, potential inflammatory aspects of macular degeneration. And so this seemed to be a logical place uh, for people to look uh, in terms of uh, how, or at least part of the etiology of AMD. What is complement factor H and what does the factor H gene code for? So complement factor H is a primary regulator of the complement cascade, the alternative arm of the complement cascade. And so complement factor H is a, I don't know, it's about 150 kilodalton protein that serves essentially three purposes uh, in the regulation of the complement cascade. It um, competes with the complement activator factor B for, for binding of one of the effectors C3B uh, it also accelerates decay of the alternative pathway convertase C3BB. And, and last, it's also a cofactor for uh, the inactivation of this convertase, the C3B convertase, by factor I. So it has three different ways that it regulates the complement 
cascade. And so the thought is that if you have a, a variant or a mutated complement factor H, that this may allow for aberrant uh, progression of the complement cascade, hence increased inflammation leading to uh, aspects of, of AMD. What is the complement factor H variant, and how does it differ from the normal complement factor H gene? So complement factor H is uh, the original variant that was identified in the three science papers that were published uh, concomitantly in the spring of 2005 is the Y402H variant, meaning that the tyrosine that's normally seen at amino acid position 402 has become now a histidine. And this is due to a T to C transition in the actual nucleotide position 1277, and that's an exon 9 of the gene. The, the protein itself has a series of 20 repetitive elements called uh, uh, SCRs or consensus repeats, and this is in SCR number 7. And this seems to be key because the SCR7 uh, serves as a binding factor for other elements such as... Uh, CRP. Again, prior to this study, what was known about the relationship between complement factor H and AMD pathophysiologically and in terms of risk? Well, very little. I mean, I think the, the main thing was that complement proteins, and perhaps that included complement factor H, had been identified in um, the Drusen deposits in Brooks' membrane of AMD. So, but there was a, there's a laundry list of things, uh, A, beta, uh, APOE, lots of things were identified in these Drews and a whole list of proteins, but some of which were inflammatory regulators, such as uh, complement. And it coincided with the fact that the complement factor H gene is part of a, a locus on chromosome 1Q, called the RCA region, um, and this is for regulator, regulators of complement activation. And these, uh, this, was, uh, this was on uh, chromosome 1, 3, 2, and there had been some genetic studies, some linkage analysis, identifying the same general region, or at least chromosome 1Q, uh, as a potential... Uh, site uh, for a, uh, a genetic association with macular degeneration. So uh, in linkage studies, uh, a, a relatively large, but a region on chromosome 1Q had tracked with certain families in AMD. So you had a little bit of genetic evidence pointing to that area on the chromosome. And then you had some evidence, some histopathological evidence saying that complement factor or, or complement proteins were in the drusen, uh, and then you've got this complement regulatory activating region in the same thing. And so then all of this sort of came together in, in spring of 2005 with the, with the three publications that followed shortly by another one from Dr. Hageman that did quite a bit looking at the, the histopathology as well and found not only... or. Well, identified complement factor H 
specifically in, in the Drusen. Um, so it was kind of a, as the, the genetics and the inflammatory uh, aspects came together, uh, and it started to make a lot of sense at that point. Pathophysiologically, what do you think's going on in these patients' eyes, these patients with the complement factor H variant? Or is this just something that's not well understood? It's really not well understood at all. And I think, you know, there's, there are two, two ways to, to look at this. One is, you know, people who are doing genetic studies and they found this and then they move on to the next genetic study. And others are, are those that are really interested in the inflammatory component or the complement component. And I'm sure you've experienced the same sort of thing as an ophthalmologist where you all of a sudden read, hmm, macular degeneration is linked with this complement gene. Hmm, the complement cascade. Gosh, I remember learning that in medical school. Now I've got to go back and think about this. But there are lots of people out there, non-ophthalmologists, that have been studying complement for years. Um, and I think it's now their turn along with the, with the ophthalmologist to look into this. But I think actually very little is known. I mean, you can kind of generally speculate, again, that if you have a less well-regulated complement system, this can lead to uh, inflammation or increased inflammatory components or uh, uh, more macrophages or monocytes in the area. This could lead to a breakdown of Bruch's membrane or an instability in Bruch's membrane, which could then maybe allow for uh, a neovascular process to more easily occur. On the other hand, you know, complement variant has, YO402H has been linked to non-exudative AMD. So it may be more simply a, uh, a relationship between potentially increased inflammatory sites and uh, degeneration or instability of the structural architecture of Bruch's membrane and the surrounding tissues. Specifically, it's just not well known at this time, but it's an open area for study. Is there more than one abnormal genotype? Absolutely. Um, you know, the original screens looked at a lot of single nucleotide polymorphisms, or SNPs, in, in the region of complement factor H. And, and adjacent to complement factor H in this RCA region are five factor H-like proteins, one through five, and they're all kind of in, right in order, and there's a lot of repetitiveness here. Um, so actually, screenings have been done of the entire region, and there has been a whole panel of uh, SNPs that have found to associate in either a positive or negative fashion with uh, AMD, meaning CFH was the most common in the original study, was the, the most likely to be associated with the presence of AMD in patients. But there are others that are probably just as good, other SNPs in the region. And there are also some SNPs in the region that are associated with a protective effect, meaning that variation was more common in uh, the control population, those without AMD, than it was in the case population, those with AMD, and those relationships were significant as well. So we're just beginning to understand, well, we're, we're trying to begin to understand how complement factor H specifically 
plays a role. Um, I think we're, we're relatively confident that CFH and variants are involved or at least make one. And again, we have to go back and remember that all these studies are susceptibility studies. If you have this variant, you have an increased risk of having AMD. You know, causally, it's really unknown. Um, but given what we know about inflammation in AMD, as I've already discussed, it certainly is plausible that there's a causal relationship. We just don't know what it is yet. How and why is the Japanese population different? What a great question. Um, I can tell you how, but I don't know why. Basically, when these first papers came out in spring of 2005 from, from four basic groups in the United States, um, the, the idea of doing case control, case control studies and looking at the uh, Y4OTH polymorphism was immediately uh, replicated in multiple populations throughout the world. Uh, one group looked at it in the British population, one group in the Italians, one group in the French. Everybody had you know, a different slant on it, and it came up time and time again in all of these studies, and choosing, including a Chinese population as well, that Y402H is positively associated with the presence of AMD. And the exception to this was the Japanese population. And there were three different papers published relatively, rec- or relatively soon after, uh, you know, within the next year and a half or so, that said, boy, we didn't find the association at all. And this was not necessarily a huge surprise because some people had talked for years. Uh, Professor Alan Bird from Moorfields Eye Hospital, I remember him talking about uh, some work that he had done with a fellow uh, from Japan when she was at Moorfield, and then they continued to collaborate. And one of the main things that they noticed was that AMD behaved differently clinically in the Japanese population. Um, it, and I don't, I don't know the details of, I can't speak to the details of that very well, but, but I seem to recall that it's not a typical... Um, you know, for instance, in the Western world, in the United States, uh, 85 to 90 percent of people who have macular degeneration have the dry form, and only 10 to 15 percent have the wet form, yet 90 percent of the severe visual loss is from the wet form. However, in Japan, I think it's a, it's a much higher proportion of people who have AMD actually have the wet or exudative form. So, and the, you don't have the, the same sort of progression of uh, soft drusen, then maybe a little geographic atrophy, and then progression to uh, wet AMD that you do in in the Western population. So it's known for a while clinically to phenotypically be somewhat different. And I don't think the histopathology is known, but I think if there had been one population that might have stuck out as something different, then, then it was a little bit less of a surprise that it was Japan, the Japanese population. This also begs the question, how do we define AMD? Um, you know, is, a, is choroidal neovascularization in a person of a certain age, plus minus drusen, is that necessarily age-related macular degeneration, and that's why it's, it's very difficult to even do a, a phenotypic classification 
of of something that is so varied in its presentations and and likely has a, a huge polygenetic slash environmental effectors uh, 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 changing it. Uh, sometimes neovascularization uh, is not choroidal or subretinal, but may come from the retinal circulation itself. And you may have heard of, uh, of the term RAP, uh, retinal angiomatous proliferation, which in some cases is uh, categorized as AMD and then some is left out of that category because it's, quote, different than a choroidal neovascular process where the choroidal vessels are breaking through Bruch's membrane. Um, so classification has something to do with it. Uh, but that's the, that's the general reason that, you know, whereas this is seen in every other population that was studied, uh, not so much in, in the Japanese population. That's a great point, your point about classification. Now, dealing with this study, what did your study seek to answer? Well, it's very interesting, um, and I'm going to give this the personal spin because this is how it really came about for us. Um, when these, these first studies came out uh, linking CFH with AMD uh, back in 2005, I, I had a conversation with a geneticist in our Department of Ophthalmology at Washington University, Alan Shields, and, and that's S-H-I-E-L-S. Um, Alan had been reading the papers and he said, you know, I think we could do this sort of study pretty easily. And one of the things he suggested, which I thought was, which has been highly relevant to our ability to do this, is he said, we could do this using a mouthwash sample instead of drawing blood. Uh, he said, I, I think that would work. I've got a protocol for that. And this is key for the following reason. Um, when a lot of these studies are done, these are done in huge federally funded or uh, oh, primarily, I guess, uh, study populations where somebody has a, a large repository of uh, genetic samples obtained from cases and controls, and they've obtained these over a three to five year period and they're well documented and there have been a large number of resources and people involved in, in creating these databases and then they're able to do fantastic studies with this and that's a, that's a wonderful resource that, that these research groups have. But we didn't have any of that. We had uh, an association, you know, I'm, I'm at Washington University, I'm part of the Barnes Retina Institute, and we have lots of patients with macular degeneration. But we had really no infrastructure at the time, and we had no samples at that point. And so what we wanted to do was try to see if we could collect a large number of samples in a short period of time. And we had a resident, uh, Sean Edelstein, who was very interested in uh, clinical research, and so Sean just went to town on this and uh, with Alan's and my help was able to gather samples from close to 400, well, over 400 people in about six weeks. And so we went from nothing to a, a decent sized case control uh, population in a very short period of time. And so our, our original quest was to see if we, number one, if we could replicate the, uh, the study in our population here in the Midwestern United States. 
we wanted to do that by trying a slightly different collection method that could be performed in a busy referral retina practice as opposed to a study center situation. And we wanted to do that without disrupting the flow of patients in that retina practice. And we were able to do so. Um, then we noticed the original, all the original studies were merely genetic studies and um, made an association of the, the polymorphism and AMD or maybe the polymorphism and neovascular AMD, um, but didn't look much beyond that at all. Uh, so what we wanted to do is also try to incorporate some AMD phenotypic data in, and that, that's what we were able to, to, to publish in the AJO article, one of the first looks at, you know, is there a relationship between the uh, CFH-Y402H variant and uh, lesion size, lesion type, predominantly classic or occult, um, and eventually, uh, after, after this paper, we have moved into looking at if is there an association between uh, genetic variants in AMD and responses to various treatments. Can I get you to describe in a little more detail the design of your study? Sure. So what we did was this is a, a, a pretty standard case control study where you have, in, in our case, we had 188 cases. Uh, patients with AMD, and we had 189 control subjects, that is relatively age-matched subjects um, who did not have age-related macular degeneration according, according to our criteria, which in this case was the age-related eye disease categories three or four. And so we gathered, uh, we collected uh, mouthwash samples from these patients, having them um, uh, rinse with uh, scope mouthwash for 30 seconds and expectorate into a cup. And we then made genomic DNA from this and then used a PCR methodology to uh, genotype each of the samples for the Y402H variant. And, and in the paper, as it's described, the normal that's normal in quotes, allele, is, as I said before, at position 1277, normally the non-variant has a T. Uh, the variant allele has a C at that uh, nucleotide position. So what we're looking for is the T to C polymorphism. As we describe things in the paper, patients then are then genotyped, or controls are then genotyped as TT, having neither copy of the variant allele, TC having one normal and one variant allele, and CC having both copies. Now, so what you can do from that is you genotype all your uh, AMD patients into one of these three categories. You genotype all your controls into uh, one of these categories, and you see what the percentage of or how those uh, genotypes play out in the two different groups. And what we and, and all the others before us have found, too, was that the C allele, whether that be the homozygous CC genotype or simply the presence of the C allele, meaning both the homozygous CCs and the heterozygous TCs, 
were much more prevalent in the AMD population than they were in the control population. For example, the frequency of the C allele in the controls was 34%, but the frequency of the C allele in the AMD patients was 55%. And this comes out most significantly when you look for the percentage of patients who have the at-risk CC genotype in controls. In the regular population, it's about 10%. In our case, it was 95 in the, our AMD patients, greater than 30% of our patients had the CC genotype, so more than three times. And you use these figures to create an odds ratio for the risk of association with AMD. So for having patients with one C allele were, in our study, 2.1 times more likely to have AMD patients with both copies of the C allele were six and a half times more likely to have AMD. And these sorts of odds ratios fit in with the general studies of, you know, about three, an odds ratio of three with a decent confidence interval for the first C allele and an odds ratio of approximately six for homozygous CC patients. We'll end part one of my interview with Dr. Brantley here, and we'll pick up at the same spot next week. Milam Brantley is Assistant Professor of Ophthalmology and Visual Sciences at the Barnes Retina Institute at Washington University in St. Louis, Missouri. His paper, Clinical Phenotypes Associated with a Complement Factor H Y402H Variant in Age-Related Macular Degeneration, is in press in the American Journal of Ophthalmology. Ask questions of Dr. Brantley or any of our previous guests, or make a comment about any of the topics we've discussed. These interviews are meant to be the start of a conversation in which you participate. Call our listener response lines in the United States dial area code 646-808-0231. In the United Kingdom dial 020-7558-8275 or Skype JYoungMD. Those numbers can be found on our website as seenfromhere.com. As Seen From Here is a production of the new media project of the NYU School of Medicine and the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery and is edited by Joe Fry. Be a part of the next podcast. I'm Josh Young.